In this world there are two kingdoms, the kingdom of man and the kingdom of God. In this kingdom of God, we learn how to prepare for the next, last, and greatest awakening revival. Two trees stood in the garden. Each gave us a choice. The tree of rebellion is the kingdom of man, but the tree of life is Jesus' land. Hello and welcome to Season 1, Episode 2 of Exploring Jesus' Land. I am your host, Pastor Kevin Neville. And um, I'm very excited because we're kind of jumping into the preface of the book, Jesus' Land, a a book in progress. And we got some good news about that. Um, We're hoping that book one of the series will come out in sometime in the summer of 2023. So, um... Book one is really going to be exploring what Jesus' land is, an introduction to Jesus' land. We're going to go into the who, what, where, when, why, and how um, of the kingdom of God. And so we'll give some introduction. And that's really what this whole season is about, is that first part one of the book, before we kind of dive into the four different stages of immigration into uh, the kingdom of God. We talk about the hostile foreigner. In season two, season three, we'll talk about the broken immigrant. Then we'll go into the um, loyal citizen. And finally, the passionate passionate ambassador. Um, looking at how the kingdom of God um, is structured, how Jesus set it up, um, rules and reigns in it, but how its calling is to the church to be part of this, this counterculture to the kingdom of man. In fact, the very opposite of the kingdom of man. But then how we've tried to sort of merge the two, especially in our Western society. And actually, that's what we're going to talk about today in the preface, which I've entitled, Why Jesus Land? Some people think that's kind of a corny title, Jesus Land. And we're going to kind of dive into it. Why did I call this book Jesus Land? And it is a bit tongue-in-cheek. In fact, it's very tongue-in-cheek. Um, the idea that this kingdom of God somehow we've sort of made it our own. We tried to make it our own in America or Canada or kind of the Western society. Um, but the true trueness of the kingdom of God is it resists those values that we put on it through our country or through our nationalism. And um, until we face that as a church, we're always going to be one foot in the world and one foot in the kingdom. And we know, as we'll find out, That's just not possible. So let's dive in. I want to read you a part of the introduction I actually wrote for the preface. That's going to come out um, in book one of Jesus Land, which will be called Welcome to Jesus Land. And that's sort of what this preference is. Going into the question why I called it Jesus Land. Kind of sounds like a religious amusement park, doesn't it? Okay, imagine yourself walking into Jesus Land. First, you have to pay the entrance fee, about 10% of your annual income. Pretty good. And seed faith pledges would also be greatly appreciated. Then you got to get out your map and decide where you want to go first. Maybe Financial Blessingsville, the Mighty Miracle Mountain, Fire Sermon Frontier, the Satan's 
Dumpin' Stampede, or perhaps fill your rumbling stomach at the Fellowship Feast food court. Maybe you could try your aim at the Heretic Heckler's Range. Perhaps catch a show at the Pious Political Pavilion, or ride the rapids at the Whitewater Gossip Gorge. Uh, don't forget your Bless Your Heart Life Preservers and the complimentary I'll Pray For You Paddles. Every Sunday morning, you could watch the beautiful people don their skinny jeans as the patriotic praise parade marches down Holy Street. Take some selfies with the family in front of the Disciple Diorama or the wax reproductions in the Super Saint Sanctuary. Of course, no day at Jesus Land would be complete without an extensive visit to the Sanctified Souvenir Shack where you could buy your double-length worship albums, your custom-written sermons from your favorite megachurch pastor, or your witty quasi-Christian t-shirts informing everyone how y'all need Jesus. Oh, while you're there, pick up a super pack of portable communion elements and a wide assortment of gospels to cure whatever ails you. Don't worry about missing it. All roads lead to the shack. Finally, pack those sleepy kids in the car with those stuffed anthropomorphic veggie souvenirs and head home knowing that God has been well pleased by your weekly adventure to the kingdom of Jesus land. Okay, that um, very little bit of fun and, and some uh, tongue in cheek, but really kind of looking hard at the Western church, how, how it looks to accomplish Christianity. Um. And how we simply can't seem to, to stay away from making it something that is very entertainment-based and a commodity. We're not comfortable um, with that reality, but we can't help but face the fact that it is a reality, especially in our Western society. And this is, this is sort of the problem, is when people are looking at it, a lot of deconstructionists are sort of looking at this um, from every different standpoint of people that had formerly been part of the church or people that are just having a hard time seeing who Jesus is and seeing how Western society promotes him or treats him in a practical way and seeing that those don't always mix. In fact, sometimes they're the exact opposite. Um, I mean, is it wrong to give your hard-earned money to those who are doing so much for the kingdom of God and really promoting the cause of Christendom? Hmm. In 1955, in Waterbury, Connecticut, um, 18 acres were given to this large, real-life Jesus land called Holy Land, USA. And uh, in these 18 acres, you could go to the visit the different stations of the cross. There was a whole Hebrew village cinder block structures uh, kind of made up to, to look like you're walking through a an, an, uh, historic Hebrew village. There was the chapel, of course, underneath the 56-foot cross. Over 40,000 visitors would come through Holy Land, USA, in Waterbury, Connecticut, until 1984 when it was shut down. And now the bones of it still remain, and urban explorers sort of skirt the law by trying to break in there and seeing this sort of run-down, creepy, abandoned Holy Land USA. And to be honest, that's sort of the motif I think of when I think of 
our society trying to make the kingdom of God a commodity or an entertainment purpose. Not saying there was anything wrong with the heart of the, the people that started it, and they, they might have simply just wanted to have an experience that people could come to, but the reality is sort of this rundown, abandoned caucus left sort of to the, to the way that we're trying to build the kingdom of God, but in the way we understand it in the kingdom of man trying to do things for the kingdom of God. But when we use the kingdom of man's rules, things just don't seem to mesh right. We try to make it fit into our own mindset, um, our profit mentality, our rules, our power structures, our values, our goals, our business sense of doing things, saying we're going to do things mighty for the kingdom of God, but we're going to do it in the way we understand as part of the kingdom of man. So we look to the business world. We look to the entertainment world. We look to the commodities market and say, this is, this is how you grow things. And the kingdom of God teaches something very, very opposite. But it doesn't allow itself to be understood in these terms that we put forward from the kingdom of man. It refuses to conform into our image. What is the kingdom of God? Well, we can tell you what it's not. It's nothing that conforms into our image of what a kingdom that is prosperous should be like. It doesn't conform to our experiences, our desires. It doesn't conform to our will. What comes out when we try to do it is this this amusement park-like mockery. And, and this is sort of the thing we know in the back of our minds and hearts, but yet we still try to fight. And the truth is, is the kingdom of God and the American dream, they don't speak the same language. They seem to use the same words, freedom. Uh, divine structure, morality, um, peace. But at core of it, the motivations are very different. And the definition of those terms are extremely, almost opposite. Instead, we try to make the kingdom of God here in, in the Western church something that's pleasurable, that's easy, that's financial blessing, that's comfortable, that's, that's inviting to the point of, of come as you are, stay as you are. But the truth is slipping through our fingers. We love John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever shall believe in him shall not perish but have eternal life. It's open for everyone. And you know what? Every bit of that is true. But as great a salvation verse as John 3.16 is, I feel an even better salvation verse is Luke 9.23. When it says, and then he said to them all, this is Jesus saying to them, he said to the, them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny himself. Take up his cross daily and follow me. 
we talk about the grace by which we're saved, and it is only by grace we are saved. But then the calling is, grace has saved you now. Come out of the kingdom of this world and into my kingdom, Jesus says. So it's important that we know what his kingdom is and how do we do this. Not only know where we came from, but how we emigrate and what does that mean for us in the real world. Uh, we try to form the kingdom of God in our image and our will, but it just won't obey us. This utopian billion-dollar Jesus land just doesn't look like Jesus. Because Jesus' kingdom is an off-the-map kingdom. Um, I love how the story of people love it, especially people that, you know, love to say, oh, Jesus wasn't just this beautiful, kind, loving hippie, you know, because he had a whip and he was whipping people in the in the temple. Okay, well, that's not exactly the truth of the situation. But Jesus did turn the tables. In, in the book of John, at the beginning of his ministry, and then in the other synoptic gospels, um, Matthew, Mark, Luke, at the end of his ministry, some people think it's the same time, but I believe it's at the beginning and the end of his ministry where he did turn the tables. He did have a whip. But this image of Jesus like whipping these, these poor um, crooks is what they were. Uh, it's not exactly true as he's whipping the animals out and but he was he was making a scene and why was he making a scene? This is what it reminded the people who saw that. Um, was he trying to prove something? Was he deliberately trying to ruin the Passover festival uh, festivities that he was part of? Were they remembered um, and it says in Luke 1946b, they remembered it said, um, my house will be a house of prayer but you have made it a den of robbers. So they had taken the holy place and made it into a marketplace. And the bottom line was that these, these traders uh, had made it into a marketplace. And it wasn't just that they were ripping off the people. They were making it difficult for the people, especially those who didn't have money, those who weren't so well off, they were making it difficult because of the way they had to exchange the money and they had to buy things from the temple and at, at prices that, that were outrageous. Um, they were making it difficult for the people to come into a relationship with their God, with their Father. And Jesus was all about taking, allowing a way for the Father and the people to again be united in fellowship for those who would come. And here there are people trying to make a profit, claiming they're doing something good and helpful, but they're making it more difficult for people to be in that close relationship with God. And this was the problem Jesus had, making it difficult for worshipers to come into a closer relationship with God and intended to gain profit instead. We often try to mix Jesus with our culture in an attempt to make life easier, to make financial pros, uh, um, profits and personal happiness, but it's disallowing us a closer relationship with Jesus, and it's getting in the way. Our Jesus land needs some tables turned. Because Jesus didn't come to improve our kingdom. 
or our country. He calls us to leave it aside for a new citizenship. The word kingdom is used over 126 times in the Gospels alone. Um, but we begin to see the reality when he talks about every time. This is not a reflection of the kingdom we even live in America or Canada or England or Australia or any of the civilized countries. Um, it's very different from them. We, uh, it's entirely different than any that which we had been born into. We begin to learn that his Jesus land, things like the first shall be last and the least shall be the greatest and those who want to save their lives must lose it. We find out that the gate is narrow and few find it. We found out we are called to love our enemies, bless those who persecute us. We see an example of the God of the universe taking on a human form and being born in a manger. Um, we see him near the end of his life stripping out his outer robes, getting down and washing the dirty feet of some uneducated fishermen and then instructing them to go out and do the same. We watch when one of his supposed friends and disciples instead betrays him with a kiss and yet even though he knew this was coming he still called him friend we watch as he forgives those who crucify him as they're crucifying him and he's willing to give up his life one that no man could take but that he's willing to give it up freely so they could have life. We find out that his death isn't the end of his kingdom, but rather just the beginning. This kingdom, this nation, is not a place where the will of man holds sway, but where the king, Jesus himself, is Lord. It's a land where Jesus is the focus and the foundation of it all. Now, we see, you know, on one hand, there's a calling that, that well, it says in, in Romans 10, 13b, it says that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So it's accessible to anyone who just calls on the name of the Lord. They will be saved. But on the other hand, we see in Matthew 7, 21a, it says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. So is this a paradox? Is anybody could call in the name of the Lord could be saved except for, you know, not everybody who, who says, Lord, Lord, will be saved. Where's the truth here? What is the kingdom of God really all about? We talk about it nonstop in our church. But how much can we really say this is the kingdom of God. Because in those situations, both the Romans and the Matthew, there's one thing that makes all the difference, that unifies it. And that one thing is citizenship. And that citizenship is relationship. We will begin to see... Um, that it's more than just an emotional response, but a choice. 
It's more than a passive faith adjustment, but rather a journey. It's more than a religion, but it's an immigration. And it's more than a cultural adjustment from the place we live now. It's not just something that's parallel to the kingdom we were born into. But it's an absolute, upside-down, opposite, separate kingdom. And we say that, but we're going to find out. They call it the upside-down kingdom. They call it the already, not yet. But we're going to find out how truly right-side-up it is. How truly already it is. With the hope of the not yet. So let me read you how I ended this chapter. When I simply said, So it's time to realize the old is gone and the new has come. It's time to jump into this new with both feet. So on behalf of the Immigration Committee and all those who have gone before and the king of this upside down already not yet on earth as it is in heaven off the map kingdom, welcome my friends. Welcome to Jesus land. Well guys, God bless. That's sort of the, the prologue. And we're going to dive into this season where we go through what is the kingdom of God, where, when, why, how, and who are the aspects of understanding the core of what Jesus teaches about the kingdom of God before we really start into the next season going through the whole scripture um, to see the kingdom of God come return to this world. Uh, we'll go through some of the breakdown of it as we, as we dive in. Uh, starting even in the next episode. But this has been Kevin Neville. Thank you guys for joining me on Exploring Jesus Land Season 1, Episode 2. And I'll see you on our next episode. God bless.